Hello and welcome to Rural Powerhouse Week Day 1. Join the CLA for the first Rural Powerhouse Week, a four-day programme of free digital events including live interviews as well as webinars, panel discussions and free digital content including blogs, videos and podcasts discussing some of the most pressing issues of our time. The Country Land and Business Association are dedicated to protecting and defending the rights of landowners and rural businesses. The Rural Powerhouse is a CLA campaign designed to unleash the potential of the rural economy. It aims to close the rural productivity gap, adding £43 billion per year while transforming the lives of millions of people who live and work in the countryside. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Rural Powerhouse Week, day one. Today's podcast will cover the looming issue of how landowners prepare for a life without the BPS payment, something that will impact all of you. We will be covering the Environmental Land Management Scheme tests and trials in detail and what they have revealed. Today we are focusing on the move away from the basic payment scheme, the biggest shift in agricultural policy for decades. Replacing BPS will be the new Environmental Land Management or ELM scheme, currently being developed by DEFRA in close consultation with the CLA and others. The ELM Test and Trials programme has been operating for almost two years now and allows for small-scale testing of ideas and components of the new scheme by groups of farmers and land managers on the ground. These tests have been the main way until now that farmers and land managers, including many CLA members, have been able to engage with the future ELM scheme, getting a feel for what ELM is aiming to achieve and feeding in their own ideas for how it could work. I'm Harry Greenfield, Senior Land Use Policy Advisor at the CLA, and in this podcast, supported by Stratton Parker, we will hear from two CLA members who are involved in tests and trials in Northumberland and Shropshire. We will then speak to Gavin Ross, who leads the Test and Trials programme for DEFRA, and Ed Hutley from Strutton Parker to discuss how ELM is being developed and what it means for the land management sector. Firstly, I would like to welcome our first guest, John Baker Cresswell. John is a CLA member in Northumberland, where he's involved in one of DEFRA's tests and trials for the new ELM scheme. The 23 Burns Farmer Group comprises 52 farmers and land managers covering over 13,000 hectares in northeast Northumberland. John, would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, yes, I would. Good morning, Harry. We're particularly lucky. We, we, we live in uh, the northeast of Northumberland. Um, this is a very productive area. Uh, one of my neighbours had the uh, world wheat yield record until a couple of years ago. But despite that, we still have uh, a lot of livestock up here. I think of our group, uh, two thirds of them still have stock. And it's also a very um, beautiful area. Much of it's AONB. And we also have a lot of environmental merit. We have uh, maritime conservation areas offshore. And just a few miles inland, we have the North Pennines. It's, it's God's country. I'm not sure why anybody bothers living anywhere else, really. 
but it's it's a beautiful area, very productive, with, with great environmental merit. Oh, that sounds lovely. Well, thanks very much. To begin with, can you describe and outline the test and trial that you've been involved with, who's involved, and what you've been investigating in the test? It really came about from an idea from my my cousin Harry, who's been an environmental advisor for, for, for many years up here. And he was very keen. He, he, he had seen over the years a lot of very prescriptive environmental schemes coming out of government. And he wondered if we could try and stand this on its head and go to a bunch of farmers in a discrete area and ask them what they felt they could achieve. That was really the nub of his proposal. And, and that, that, that's the basis on which we set forth. Okay. And had the group of farmers that, that were involved in the testing trial, had they worked together before in, in anything like this way? Were they, weren't, were they collaborating before this? No. Obviously, we knew each other pretty well. Most of us knew each other well. And we'd worked together in other ways. But no, not that this particular group hadn't existed before. Okay. And was it easy to work with that number of people in a, in a common, common cause in a group like that? Well, it, it was, yes. Um, it, t- it turned out to be a lot easier than we, we expected. We got extremely high levels of, uh, of engagement. I think uh, we identified 63 farms, 52 farmers, uh, maybe, f- sorry, 54 farmers, and we got 52 to engage. That's Not great. Really- and so going into the detail a bit more of what you were looking at during the test and trial, were there particular elements of, of ELMS that you were um, investigating and how did you how did you go about the project and well what was it? it's a good question we, we were very keen that each farmer should work with an advisor of their choice we thought this would help with engagement um, we also thought that to have an advisor who probably already knew the farm would be and the farmer would be of a great help and that's the basis on which we set forth we absolutely went at it with a blank piece of paper so we absolutely said to farmers you tell us what you think you have in the way of environmental assets and what you would like what you think you can achieve if you had the right support Uh, that that was the basis of this test okay so you were looking at the role of advice weren't you and and how advisors and and farmers and land managers can interact to produce public goods so were there any particular findings of interest in in about the use of advisors in helms yes we, we, we just thought that the model we chose it certainly seemed to work very effectively for this test the ideas came thick and fast. Uh, I think there were 550 or something individual ideas came out of this group of 52 farmers. We had a bigger problem of collating it all than we did actually getting the ideas. And what were some of the most interesting ideas that some of the farmers did come up with? So these were ideas about public goods that could be delivered on the land, is that right? Yes, proposals to deliver more public goods. So slightly unusual up here, we have a very, very high percentage of stewardship scheme uptake in the past um, nearly every farm up here has a stewardship scheme and so not unnaturally a lot of the proposals were very similar to the old stewardship prescriptions but we did get some very interesting ideas for, for, for which were novel in our opinion for example ideas to increase the amount of insects in a, in a very aggressive way which in turn would lead on we would hope to farmland birds both in terms of quantity and number of species. Mm. Oh, that sounds fascinating 
And you're also looking at putting together land management plans, is that right? Was this something that those involved in the test felt sort of comfortable doing? And and I'd be interested to hear more about the process of putting together a land management plan, which I think was something else you were looking at. Yes, it it wasn't a problem. I think, again, because we had such wide experience of stewardship, this wasn't exactly unknown to us. We'd done this sort of work before, so, so it wasn't a big problem. And moving to the sort of bigger picture a little bit, I wondered what you thought based on your sort of uh, existing knowledge but also particularly I suppose from your involvement with these tests and trials what do you think are the risks and opportunities from the new ELM scheme? To me the, the, the enormous opportunity comes out of the fact that I think a national politician at the moment who uh, recommended cutting support going onto farms would find that to be a vote winner and it would seem to me that the opportunity given to us by Elms is to turn that on its head. We, we have the potential, if we can get this right, to make future support popular, popular with voters. So, for example, if a bunch of farmers in a recently flood-hit town upstream of it could get a scheme together which would reduce the risk of flooding in the future, I just think it would be difficult for politicians in the future to defund that. Basically, if we get this right, we can go to the population and say, if you don't continue funding, then Bambi will get it. That would seem to me a much better situation for our businesses, business survival and our environment than where we are today. Yeah, certainly that political and public support is a prize worth aiming for. So as a final question, going back to, to your group, the 23 Burns Farmer Group, what are your next steps for those 52 farmers and future plans for the group? We've been very lucky and we finished our first test back in uh, May and we've just started our second test. And so whereas the first test started with a blank piece of paper and we went to all farmers and said, look, no preconceptions, just you. What do you want to do? We've now had to sort of bash these 55 proposals more into prescriptions, really, and go back to them and say, "Okay, if you do this, this and this in terms of improving a hedgerow environment and you were paid a certain amount of money to do it, how much would you commit to that in terms of length of hedge? So we've gone away from the blank piece of paper thing and come at it from the other end in order to try and sort of zoom in on a somewhere where we could actually know that we could deliver, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've had uh, a lot of ideas from that group of farmers in that area of the country, uh, which sounds very beautiful and full of opportunities. And interesting to hear as well that 52 farmers working together seem to be relatively smooth from the way you describe it. Uh, Well, thank you very much, John. It's really fascinating to hear about what you've been doing and best of luck with the next Mm. stage. Thank you. Thank you. So next, we're going to be hearing from Wojtek. So Wojtek Benke is Managing Director of the Aquila Estate in Shropshire, where he's working with the cashman-sensitive farming group to look at landscape scale land management. So Wojtek, would you like to tell us a bit more about yourself and the estate? Hello, Harry. Yes, thank you. And thanks for having me on. As you say, I manage the Aquilet Estates, which is on the Shropshire-Staffordshire border. The estate owns Aquilet Mia, which is a triple SI and Ramsar site. There has been an established CSF, so um, catchment-sensitive farming group, for a few years now, which is centred around water quality, um, improving that for within the catchment of Aquilet Mia. In the last few years, I've started to be uh, get involved with that group more. I'm on the steering committee And when the discussion came up about Elms, we thought this was an opportunity for our group to explore the new area of where payments might be in the the future. So we put together a 
proposal to DEFRA on this, looking at landscape, uh, landscape scale management plans and how we might, as a group, come together to deliver a landscape scale land management plan. And so, so my understanding is that the individual farms could have their own land management plans, but could also collaborate together, feeding up to, to create a landscape scale land management plan with priorities that, that perhaps um, individual farmers can't meet at any scale on their own in holding, but, but within a catchment area, a larger or a landscape area, greater benefit could be had by bringing, bringing those people together and those opportunities yes. together. Yeah, it sounds, sounds really interesting. You say the group of farmers had been working together already through the CSF um, scheme. So did, you, did they find it relatively easy to, to think about working together? And also, were there any problems with creating or, or do you envisage any problems with creating that landscape scale plan with, across multiple estates and holdings and farms? So we already had what was useful was that given we have a, an existing uh, catchment sensitive group, um, or we now call it the Aquilet Mia cluster, we, we already have um, you know, group emails. We're looking to set up a WhatsApp group, actually, because um, at our last meeting, we decided that's probably a, an easier way to communicate certain things. So and people are quite well engaged and have been. We've adopted quite a bit of the schemes available from um, the Seven Trent Steps um, which is Seven Trent are our, our local uh, water board, and and they have various schemes supporting farmers. So the group has been adopted quite a few of those payments and supports available from Seven Trent, and that's been a good focus for the group. And and the and we've now moved over onto sort of focusing as well on this Elms project. And you're fairly at fairly early stages in the project, I understand. But from the point of view of of yourself, but also of the other farmers involved, what do you think are the the elements or the aspects of Elms which are most interesting and which you think you can most uh, sort of add value to, I suppose from DEFRA's point of view, in terms of what you're testing on the ground and, and what you think the opportunities are. And I suppose part of the same question really, how does it how do you think it will differ from the things you're already involved in? I think that what what I'm quite interested in is the is the holistic approach to this. So so looking coming together as a group, finding the balance between commercial farming and environmental support, and, and what what objectives we all have and how uh, we feel they can be brought together as a group. So you know we have a very mixed farming uh, catchment here. So we've got arable and beef and poultry and dairy. We've got salad farming as well, salad growing. So we've got quite a mixture of farming activities. Um, some a couple of private estates and. It's a, it's a question of how we can try and zoom out and look at this as a land as as a landscape and think what what might benefit the landscape and what might what what might also help us to support um, our existing businesses because we have different landowners with different priorities. Some are more open to environmental things. Some are winding down in farming operations. Some are some are growing and expanding in farming operations. And you know we all have to try and live together in this sort of ecosystem and the more we can, I think we can we can try and collaborate to find a way that works for us all I think that will have benefit we're, we're, as you say we're early stages in we're about a third of the way into our test so far we've had a few questionnaires and we've got together as a group to discuss some priorities and then create a subgroup that subgroup will then meet together in November to create some initial landscape scale templates um, and identify using the priorities identified by the group to see how we can we can focus on particular areas within the catchment. And then we will then go and test that with the group uh, and report back to DEFRA our findings. 
Excellent. It sounds like there'll be a lot to report after this. Um, I'm sure Gavin will be listening harder with his team. So I think the other thing I wanted to ask, I mean, obviously you're focusing quite a lot on on collaboration and on that landscape scale. I wonder, do you think there are wider benefits to groups of farmers and land managers coming together? And do you think, where, where does Elms fit in in terms of bringing people together? I wondered, because your experience seems to be that the group already existed and then you decided to, to have a look at Elms. Do you think that puts you in a, a stronger position or do you think that Elms can motivate similar groups across the country to, to come together in that way? I think it's a good approach to try and bring people together on this sort of thing because you can have, you know, as an individual farmer, you can have your boundary, but you can only do so much with the land that you have within that area. But if you start to look at outside, you might have one farmer who's next door to you who could do simple one is planting trees, who could plant more trees than you. But, but when you look at it as, as a group, there's something that you could do that he, that he might not be able to do or she might not be able to do. So you could then come together as a group and say, look, within catchment, we've, we're creating this amount of public good rather than just on my individual farm. You could do it individually and then add up the sum, but perhaps there's more opportunity to do it collaboratively. I think that the challenges are of our motivation of the, of the landowners and farmers at this time to get people to come together and really focus on what, on what they can do when they don't know yet what the what it's going to look like and what they're going to be you know, what's what they're going to be paid for and and how how it's going to affect their businesses and i think that that really can create a bit of a stumbling block in conversation and it's trying to trying to motivate people to think to think more outside the box of what 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 might be achievable coming to the final question now i suppose thinking further into the future what would you like to see in the next, say, I don't know, five years moving on to when Elms is, is fully rolled out? I think Elms creates a, a, a great opportunity. I think the risks, I think the risks with Elms are obviously, as I say, we don't know what they look, what is going to look like in the future yet. And it's difficult to know. It's also change at an uncertain time, what's going on in the world. But it's change that I think needs to happen. I think the opportunity is, is for us to really look at what we're doing. I've very, become very passionate about things like regenerative farming, become interested more in things like rewilding, not necessarily on large scales, but perhaps at small scales. And I think coming together as a group will, will allow us to access opportunities like, like that and collect information and data on what's happening within the landscape. And that then, I, I personally think, I, I don't know if all the group shares my views, but, but I personally feel that 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 will be a, a real opportunity in the future to, to, to show the public what, what we're doing for the money that's being provided. I also think there are, there are huge opportunities in private funding as well for things like this. And it's difficult to know where that might sit alongside Elms. So I think the group will go through this process. And I hope, if anything, it'll, it'll at least help us to put together a landscape scale plan or, or some, some, some key fundamental principles that we like that we'd like to see within the landscape. But I also think that it could lead on to collaboration on so many other levels once you have set something up that enables you to work as a catchment and collect information on what's happening within catchment. So how many people are growing cover crops, et cetera, and what benefits those cover crops are having and how and measuring that benefit. Then, um, then, you know, we've really got something to talk about and say, look what we've achieved, which, yeah. which I think is a real opportunity and will open up further opportunities in the future. Absolutely. Well, it's really fascinating to hear about what you're doing, Wojtek, and it sounds like coming together as a group within the catchment has maybe taken some initial effort to get people together, but now there's looks like there's a lot of opportunities to work at that landscape scale and demonstrate to the public what you're doing. Well, thank you very much, Wojtek. Thank you. Thank you. 
even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Rural Powerhouse is a CLA campaign focused on unleashing the potential of the rural economy. Its aims are a fully connected countryside, a planning system designed for rural communities, profitable and sustainable farming, investment in skills and innovation, and a simpler tax regime. So far, we've heard from two CLA members involved in uh, slightly different tests and trials in different parts of the country. We're now going to bring in Gavin Ross and Ed Hutley for a discussion. Gavin Ross is the Deputy Director at DEFRA, responsible for the ELM test and trial programme and the national pilot due to begin next year. Ed Hutley works in Stratton Parker's rural team, where his focus is in agriculture. So to begin with, could you both tell us a little bit more about yourselves, starting with you, Gavin? Hello, Harry, and uh, many thanks for having me on this. Um, in terms of my background, I guess, you know, I'm a lifelong civil servant, joined MAF in 85, through to into DEFRA, and other than a year out to do an MBA in 96, 97, and a year out to work for Shell in 2007, I've been in math and then DEFRA my whole career. So plenty of experience to draw on. And Ed, what about you? How do you do for Stratton Parker? So I've worked for Stratton Parker for the last six years. Uh, I come from a family farm in Essex and I cut my teeth in farm management before going into uh, consultancy working uh, with Stratton Parker. Uh, I specialise in providing technical and financial advice to farmers and I am the chair for our environmental production group which is primarily focused on helping our clients to uh, navigate the um, changes in policy that we're seeing going on at the moment and that involves uh, the implementation of uh, existing schemes and helping to culture understanding in relation to future policy and um, schemes too. So to delve into a bit more detail of the test and trial programme, starting with you, Gavin, um, it would be interesting to hear from DEFRA's point of view, what was the, the aim of this uh, programme? What were you trying to achieve? Uh, thanks, Harry. And I just want to say the two really interesting examples we've just heard from the, the two test and trials there today. If we go back to the start, so the context was to try and grab the opportunity to do something completely different to what has gone before in terms of the EU CAP. And part of the idea behind that was to try and move away from a very prescriptive approach, a position where the official in Whitehall always knew best, where the 
government expert was always be able to say exactly what should happen on someone's land and move much more to a more trusting arrangement, more bottom-up relationship whereby the farmer, the land manager who was actually operating the land was best placed to achieve shared views on what the outcomes were trying to achieve for the environment. So it was in that context that we came up with the idea of essentially just reaching out to any interest group of farmers or land managers and just saying, this is what we're trying to devise. We're really keen to work in a co-design way of trying to make sure that what we develop is something that works for practical farmers, practical land managers on the ground, delivers good environmental benefits, but does it in a way that enables the vast majority of farmers and land managers to be able to participate in an income from it if that's what they choose to do, but present something that's, that's attractive. And I've been personally phenomenally pleased with just the level of interest, involvement, the ideas that have come through. The, we've now got 70 testing trials underway that are eight that have, have completed. Um, we're looking to um, get more. We've got 25 progress being developed to come through, and we're looking to go for further phases of tests and trials. And we see it as a, as a rich, rich area to learn, both for us to learn from farmers, but also, as we've heard from two examples, the farmers also to take more control in determining what it is they want and they might want to achieve under them. Yeah. So what's been the most interesting finding so far? Has there been anything particularly unexpected or, or something that DEFRA hadn't perhaps thought of that uh, one of these tests and trials has revealed? So I think the most interesting and, and welcome thing for me has just been the level of commitment, interest, enthusiasm that we've seen generated in lots and lots of different places around the country, lots of different tests and trials, and the importance within that of having local facilitators, local um, people, advisors who work collectively to bring farmers and land managers together. And that can build on areas like we have here with Vocek, where you've got a, a catchment-sensitive farming group already in place. It could also work where you've got farm clusters already in place. But it can also be a situation, as we heard with 23 Burns, where it's bringing together farmers who hitherto hadn't collaborated or cooperated with things to see what they can achieve. I was, I confess, a bit surprised by just the level of, of engagement that we've achieved with you know, over 300 uh, proposals coming in from different groups about what they might want to take forward in tests and trials, and still a great deal of interest out there, both um, within established groups and those who wish to create groups. I think unexpected thing, I guess, was um, a large number of tests and trials are looking at land management plans, which I think we see as quite a key cornerstone in terms of putting farmers, land managers in position to, to run a bottom-up approach and also to demonstrate what it is they've achieved so we can move to a much more light-touch view to improvement rather than penalise in terms of monitoring uh, uh, and compliance. But apart from that, we did a survey of about 36 of those test and trials were involved in land management plans, and a majority of those were supportive of the idea of those land management plans being made public, although obviously there were concerns and caveats around making sure you didn't reveal sensitive information, either commercially sensitive or information, say, about rare ground nesting birds that might encourage um, uh, illegal activity from you know, uh, bird egg collectors or, or mm. whatever. But I thought 
that was an interesting point and a recognition, as I think Wojcik explained, that it does potentially provides a way which farmers can demonstrate to local communities, to the wider communities, this is the environmental and other benefits you are getting as a taxpayer from the payments we are receiving for doing these things. And mm-hmm. really flipping the narrative to see all the benefits, not just in terms of food production, but environmental improvement that are coming from the people who are uh, managing the landscape around you. Yeah, that's very interesting to hear. Certainly the issue of publication of land management plans is a a live discussion within the CLA. So Ed, moving on to you, I mean, you're obviously at the sharp end of this with uh, engaging with clients on a daily basis. I wonder, are you aware of um, some of the ideas within the tests and trials? Is it something that you'd come across in your job until now and what you thought of the, the program and this way of going about designing helms? Yes, I think I think the first thing to say is, you know, we've been uh, following the test and trials process with a huge amount of interest, certainly keen to see what the findings are so when the quarterly reports are coming out we're being sure to make sure that we uh, keep up with those from a client level we've had a huge amount of interest in uh, being involved in the test and trials um, i myself was involved with a tender for the test and trials which i put together with rothamsted research and the center for hydrology and uh, ecology unfortunately uh, gavin we weren't successful but uh, that you know it, i think that uh, my understanding is that there were over 300 applicants and you know only 57 could be involved i think that the key concern you know that comes from that is you, know, you want to make sure that the farms and businesses and states that you're involved with have got fair representation in the test and trials program and i think in fairness you know I, there seems to be a good good level of national coverage i, I know that there have been uh, some murmurings that some people think that some elements haven't been well covered but you know we, we, we've given ourselves a reasonably long start in terms of uh, getting ourselves ready for uh, elms in in 2024 and so there's there's still time for for these elements to unfold so i sort of sit on the side of the fence that i'm very much interested in in what's going on seeing how things are evolving i think that i look back on when countryside stewardship came to the floor a few years ago there was an awful lot of talk about how that was going to be a much more bespoke scheme i don't think that that's what we've ended up with but i think that um the sort of mantle of this scheme hopefully being designed by farmers and landowners for landowners and farmers it very much um, you know how it how it appears it's going to work out yeah absolutely i think we're obviously very keen as well that it that co-design which defra committed to is something that we see follow through so to you again ed i mean hearing from what people like john and Wojtek are doing on the ground do you think that helps give an idea of how the sector can prepare you say there's obviously a a lead-in time between now and 2024 but do you think that farmers and land managers are starting to have enough information to know what what direction they should go or are you advising people in a way that's uh what they should be doing I think that the the current position that we're operating on is that we've got a series of of knowns that we can deal with. You know, we know that that the basic payment scheme is going to disappear. We know that we're going to move away from a system of payment by area to to a completely new setup. And as a consequence, I think that we we are sort of dealing with clients who are saying, you know, what can I do now? What can I do now? And I think while uh, an awful lot of the framework hasn't necessarily been 
uh, totally cast, you know, set in stone at this stage. Uh, there's relatively little that, that you can actually say proactively to a client today that you're going to do that's going to definitively be the right thing to do. I listened in on to the um, Elms consultation uh, briefing, which Gavin led back in July. And one of the things that I sort of took from, from that and I was sort of well aware of was that Ultimately, the work that we've been doing on the environment over the last few years is not going to be way off the mark in terms of the direction of travel that we're heading with Elms. This isn't uh, like the rule book is about to be ripped up and, you know, all the things that we've been doing in terms of trying to promote pollinators and create new habitats and that sort of thing uh, are suddenly, oh, you know, turns out we've got that wrong. That isn't going to be the case. And I think, therefore, what we're trying to do is encourage farms uh, who've been part of environmental stewardship, who are now not part of a scheme, is, look, best thing that you can possibly do is get yourself involved with countryside stewardship at this stage. We know that when Elms comes out, if it turns out that you're going to be penalised, that you can join the new Elms scheme straight away. And in any event, that gives you, you know, a period for you to be able to uh, trial, if you like, uh, some of the options that are available uh, through countryside stewardship, which are almost certainly going to be available through tier one and tier two of Elms. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's really good to hear. That echoes very much what the CLA thinking is on this, which, as you say, while the detail of Elm is still being worked out, what constitute good environmental land management is fairly well known at this point. So there's, a, there's something for people to work on, I think. So moving back to you, Gavin, now, it'd be interesting to hear from you about how the information and insights that you're starting to hear back from these groups of farmers and land managers how that's going to be used by DEFRA and how it will feed particularly into the National Elm pilot, which is due to start next year, I understand, and whether you've got anything more you can say about that pilot. Sure. No, very happy to, Harry, and also very encouraging what Ed was saying there about the advice to members, because I think that's very much spot on about in terms of where we're, where we're looking to go. So in terms of the findings coming out of tests and trials, I mean, we've looked to try and pull those into sort of six themes around land management plans, payments, advice and guidance, spatial prioritisation, collaboration and innovative delivery solutions as the themes and bring in, because lots of tests and trials are looking at more than one aspect. So if you're on land management plans, you're probably also looking at advice and you may be looking at other things such as collaboration. So pull those into themes reports and those reports are pulled together and now pulled together both monthly and quarterly reports. They're shared across um, DEFRA and more widely. We'll be looking increasingly also to publish them on WK, but they're also shared across the test and trial community. I, all the different test and trials groups get access to these. And we have quarterly sessions where um, we both report on the theme, but we also get a couple of tests and trials to report on their particular findings and chance for others to engage on, on those, both those participating tests and trials, but also um, policy uh, people, delivery people within ELM and the wider future farming and environment um, part of the department. So that information is circulated and increasingly when proposals go to project boards or program boards about in the space of developing ELM, both for the pilot and for the scheme itself. And the evidence base, you, we, we, we expect uh, the people who are authorised, authoring that, uh, that proposal to set out what the learning is that comes from tests and trials, as well as other evidence base that's informing uh, the paper and the recommendation they're making. So we're very much looking in that particular space. Likewise, about seven 
sort of prototypes of what a land management plan might be have come out of the 54 or so testing trials working on land management plans. And we're in the process of looking to test those with other tests and trials. How might this work? With a view to looking to test those further as part of the pilot so that we don't want to go for a specific solution or specify too much what a land management plan is because for it, certainly from my perspective, for it to work, it needs to be owned by the person who's actually managing the land, farming the land. It's got to be their plan that they decide. We can say, you know, it needs to have a map and needs to uh, show what the features are now and then place and any features that are going to be developed. So there's some core themes that have been coming out of the tests and trials and also from first principles. Um, but that's that's the way we're looking to make most use of the tests and trials. And I'm particularly yeah. thinking about, you know, collaboration and spatial prioritization, how that can be fed into the bigger picture. Uh, that's interesting to hear. Um, so moving on to the final question, which I'd like to ask both of you, uh, which is what do you expect to see changing as a result of ELMS once it's rolled out in full and how can farmers and land managers prepare for this? Starting with you, Ed. I think uh, in, in practice, as I alluded earlier, I don't think that we're going to see a hugely different um, view looking out the window in regards to the actual um, management practices that are being put, it, put into place. Uh, I think that um, uh, what, what excites, excites me is, is, the, is the prospect of farms and estates being potentially rewarded on the basis of increased delivery. You know, we, we, we're starting to see the framework of, of how the payments is likely to, to work out. Uh, and I think that you know, we, we've been doing quite a lot of modelling at Stratton Parker, looking at your basic payment digressivity partnered with your current uh, environmental income uh, and considering some of the sort of estate-wide uh, diversification income monies that you're going to receive and, and we we foresee that you know by 2024 that you're potentially going to need your L monies to be 500 percent of what they are currently in for, in the form of um, countryside stewardship monies to be able to fill that gap uh, so i think that the uh, the key the key thing is is you know for farms looking looking ahead now is you know they, they have to be realistic you know there isn't going to be a uh, 500% increase in uh, environmental payments to fill to fill that void, but there is going to be you know reward there for businesses who are willing to go the extra distance in terms of trying to deliver uh, environmental gain. Uh, and I think that where we've got greater collaborative approaches from farms and estates, that that is only going to bolster the monies that are going to be available. And look, it isn't just a case of being totally dominated by you know financial gain. But ultimately, farms have got to be able to stand up on their own two feet from a practical farming element where we, we do a huge amount of work with farmers trying to make sure that their costs are benchmarked. Uh, and, I, and I foresee that being no different uh, in the next few years in regards to some of the environmental work that we're doing. I think we, we need to have a much tighter uh, understanding of uh, the time and effort that goes into that. Uh, against the rewards that we receive yeah absolutely um and so final word to you gavin i mean the same question i suppose what what do you and what does defra hope will be the end point of elms or the, the sort of the goal you're aiming towards and what can farmers do now to prepare so and taking the second point first in terms of preparing i think very much as ed has said in terms of looking at countryside stewardship if you're already in an agri-environment agreement 
It's about working or thinking with your advisor, whoever they are. What are you doing now? What might you want to do differently if you had the freedom to do things a bit differently? What more might you do? What would be the price that would actually make it worth your while to do it? And try and understand some of those things. And if you're if you're not in a, a an agreement, would be advice would be to get get on a consultative agreement as part of that part of that journey. I think what we have to guard against in moving forward is just the recognition that we've been in a particular approach to agro-environment schemes for over four decades, and that's going to have quite a heavy undercarriage that's going to remain both with the farmers have experienced it, but also within government that have administered it. So we just need to watch against that um, and look for much more of a of changing the the way we go about achieving environmental benefits. So it's much more focusing about what is the outputs, the outcomes we're wanting to achieve, what might that look like, and trying to give as much freedom as possible within guidance as to how that's achieved by the person who's best best place to do that, and that's the person who's actually working the land. And in relation to that, the technical guidance that we are developing and which we will be testing with peer-reviewed and other experts and users, that will be a big source that can be drawn on by farmers, by advisors, in helping to achieve that, that outcome. Excellent. That's been really interesting to hear from both of you and particularly to hear from Gavin about the, the rich seam of enthusiasm from land managers in getting involved in, in co-designing this new scheme and to hear about how he's going to use the larger number of ideas and, and thinking coming from farmers and, and land managers to develop elms um, and also to hear from Ed about how he's advising his clients on how they can prepare um, and the importance of land managers looking at what's gone before in stewardship when they're thinking about what's still to come. Um, and the CLA is, is continuing to do a lot of work on this. DEFRA is keeping us busy at the moment in the preparation for, for future publications and the, and the pilot next year. Certainly, we seem to be doing a lot to try and um, give our own views on the policy. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you to John Baker-Cresswell, Wojtek Benke, Gavin Ross and Ed Hartley. I've really enjoyed speaking with all of you. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you found it both informative and useful. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we're releasing a new episode each day for Rural Powerhouse Week. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, www.cla.org.uk. Thank you, and I hope you can join us again soon. You've been listening to the CLA Rural Powerhouse Week podcast. The CLA's new weekly podcast, Rural Business Uncovered, will be released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search CLA on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.